Welcome to the God Solution Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I am so excited that you're back with us again this week. Well, I want to talk about something that's on everybody's minds today, but I don't want to beat a dead horse. I wanted to bring up the Paris attacks and to briefly talk about it, but maybe to go a little bit of a different angle than you've heard so far with that topic. Anyway, we all know that there is this horrible tragedy this past week. ISIS carried out one of the worst attacks that they've ever carried out. Obviously not the worst terrorist attack in history, but horrible nonetheless in Paris. And we are all praying for the people there and thankful that our friends in that area were safe. And gosh, we look forward to the day when Jesus Christ reigns in this world and there is no more violence. There is no more hate. But everybody loves God first and loves their neighbor second. Until that day, we can know that when we see pain and suffering and evil in the world, and that was evil if ever we saw evil, that God still exists and he has a plan and he allows certain things like this to happen. Of course, he doesn't cause those to happen, but he allows them for a greater good. If you'd like to know more about the problem of pain, suffering, and evil and the Christian response to that, go to GodSolutionShow.com. I talked about it about three weeks ago in the Lily Garcia news item that was happening here in Albuquerque. Go check that out. And look into it. Today, that's not the direction I want to take it. Today, I wanted to talk about the good that's coming out of a lot of this. Now, you might have seen in the news that countless Muslims, Kurds, Yazidis, and others are coming to Christ as a result of ISIS's violence in the Middle East. That's good news to hear of all these people coming to Christ. They are being persecuted, the Christians and those coming to Christ. In fact, our government right now, the State Department, is purging from a document on the declaration of ISIS genocide. They're purging all references to Christians. This is insidious that our government would be covering up the violence against Christians that's happening by ISIS. Anyway, I saw that posted yesterday by Michael Lacona on Facebook, and it was a National Review article. You could check that out. But the bottom line is that people are coming to Christ as a result of all this terrorism that's happening over there. I've heard that as many as 16,000 Muslims a day are coming to Christ, and that statistic is quite old. And I've heard that that is accelerating now because of a lot of what people are seeing over there. Well, today we're going to take a different angle on this, like I said, and we're going to talk to a former Muslim who converted to Christianity. We're going to hear his testimony. This is a past show that I did a while back, and I thought it would be very pertinent to come back to it this week. So, Listen in as we talk to Josh Ahmed Messinger about his testimony and about how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. We grew up in uh, Los Angeles, California, so we lived about 10 miles from the ocean. I grew up in a very mixed home. My mother claimed to be Christian. My father, of course, was Muslim. The reason I say claimed was because my mother never taught us about Jesus growing up, so I never had much of a Christian background for my mother's sake, but I had a huge, a huge Muslim background for my father. My father believed, of course, growing up in Egypt up until the age of in his 20s before coming to America, he was taught hardcore Islam. And so my dad was not a nominal Muslim. My dad taught us to pray. Uh, my dad taught us to fast. I remember the first time I fasted during the Ramadan season was about 12 years old. And in America, it's very diverse in the mosques. And uh, my father, being an Egyptian Arab, is not big on other keen uh, races being Muslim. So it was hard for my dad to find a mosque to worship in, but we did go several times and pray. And 
very legalist religion. It was very works-driven, just trying to always really appease my father. I, I desired the love of my dad. I still remember, you know, sitting on a rug and praying and never having anything back, never having any response back from Allah or a God and just feeling like I was going through repetitions or motions in order to appease my father. And so that was kind of like my childhood process. Now, you mentioned a little bit about Islam and how that played into your childhood. With that in mind, would you kind of describe some of the characteristics of Islam for our audience, in case anyone in the audience doesn't quite know all that it entails? I think a lot of people have misconceptions about Islam. I think maybe people have heard the name and come up with different ideas, but it's rare that people have actually studied Islam. I don't think many people have read the Quran. I read the Quran and was quite surprised by what I read. And beyond that, many people have never had a close relationship with somebody that is a Muslim. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about the key fundamentals of Islam and how those played into various aspects of your life? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, after September 11th and the Twin Tower attacks, Islam has become more popular in the essence of people knowing about the religion. Even before September 11th, people are standoffish to Muslims uh, or Arabs in general just because they're a lot different than anything else in America, any other race in America. The culture is so much different because the culture is surrounded around Islam and, and the Sharia law, and so they're so segregated away from the culture itself. In a weird way, Christians, of course, believe you know to be in the world but not of it, and from a Muslim standpoint, you would not be in the world or of it. So I think even Muslims are more standoffish from people, and so I think it's hard for people people to get to know about Islam or to know people for both sides. One, I think people are afraid to actually talk to a Muslim because of things like September 11th. Their misconceptions and their, I think they fear what they don't know. So I think it is good for them to understand about Islam, specifically in the Quran. You know, my dad never taught us to learn how to read Arabic. I think he was just too lazy to do it. So he gave us an English Quran. And of course, later on in my life, I found out that in the Islamic religion, any time that the Quran is translated, it's considered to not be the actual words of Allah. But through the Quran, if you were to start from the beginning and go to the end, you would be amazed at how much the Quran speaks about Christianity, speaks about Judaism, speaks about understanding who Jesus is in light of Islam rather than in light of Christianity. And so growing up, my dad always taught me how to refute Christians. You know, if anyone were to try and come and evangelize to us or, you know, to a Muslim or me in general, just someone who believed in Allah rather than in Jesus Christ as a God, to make them doubt in their faith, almost in the apologetics aspect of giving a defense for the Islamic faith, there's, of course, the five pillars of Islam that I laugh because I didn't ever know there was five pillars until after I became a Christian. Of course, my dad taught me the quote-unquote pillars, but he never presented them as pillars. Prayer, of course, being very, very, very important, praying five times a day. And the prayers are so, it isn't a relationship with Allah. It isn't you asking the desires of your heart. It isn't seeking him for counsel and guidance more than it is more of an extreme reverence prayer that is just basically repetition and routine. And, and that's pretty much all you get with that. And it's done, of course, in order to help save you from the sins that you commit here on this world and this earth. Then there's so many different 
aspects of the Quran that deal with the legal sides of the world, like church and state are not separated within Islam. And so I think that that's a big fear for people, too. Some of the other pillars of Islam, specifically like go into pilgrimage, you would go to Saudi Arabia and go to Mecca. Of course, I've never, ever done it. In fact, my dad has only done it once. But you can even go for different people. It's a site where Muslims go in order to help them, of course, get into paradise. Almsgiving, it'd be kind of like giving to the poor. Their idea and concept in comparison to Christianity, where you would go into a church and you would tithe and give to it is a lot different. They believe that you would just give to an individual who's needy. They give to the mosque, but not as a certain percentage or rate. Of course, there's the confessional creed. Lay lay Allah Muhammad Rasulullah basically says this that there is only one God and He is Allah and Muhammad is a prophet of Allah. It's very interesting that that last part of I mean I still remember as a kid my dad teaching me that saying. Of course I said it. Of course I'm personally convicted against those that just say a prayer um, for the faith in Jesus Christ but yet don't have any meaning behind it, don't have any understanding behind it, but think that they can just say a prayer and that's it, that's all they have to do. They never have to do anything with their faith ever again in life and they get to get into heaven. It was kind of like that for me, saying the creed. I believe that there was one God, but I really didn't believe much about Allah or about um, Muhammad until later on uh, as a teenager. But as a kid, you know, you're kind of taught that process just to go through the motions of it. Almost as a get-out-of-jail card safe. Even though it doesn't get you out of jail by saying the creed, it just says that you are a Muslim and you're going to follow Allah. But that last tag about Muhammad being a prophet, I didn't fully grasp that understanding until later on because they believe that Jesus was just a prophet. They don't believe that he was God. They don't believe that he is the son of the Most High God, and that he is literally just a man who was a prophet sent from God. They believe that he was only human, not divine. To say that Muhammad is just a prophet, to them, is basically saying, look, we're totally different than the Christians to say that our prophet is God. Because we could say that, but we're not going to. I think it's an extreme defense against Christianity just in that. And, of course, lastly, there's the fasting in the Ramadan that I spoke about a little bit earlier. It's really interesting, and I don't know how many other Muslim families do it the way we did because you don't talk to other kids about how they do it necessarily. And, of course, even growing in Los Angeles, I had Muslim friends at my school. Of course, I graduated with a class of about 800 or so just in my high school class. And out of that, I can only remember four or five friends that were Muslim that came from a Muslim home, of course, I graduated in 97, so it's been a while. But with that said, when we would fast, you know, you fast from sunrise to sunset. And, man, sunset, there was this huge meal, you know, put before the table. And then my dad always had the alarm set in the house, like, 45 minutes before sunrise. So you would, like, go stuff your face full of food so that way you could make it all day long. I always thought it was just a big joke and gimmick growing up. I mean, even just doing it because I was like... You're eating enough food in between the time period. I didn't understand the concept of fasting the way that I do now in Christ and Jesus. But still, back then, I knew there was just something weird about it, something wrong about it. It was really more of a, a routine during that time of Ramadan and the process. And, of course, after the fasting is over, then there's this huge celebration. They'd always have a lamb in the resemblance of the sacrifice that was made. That was the Ramadan. That's That's the five pillars that... If you were to say, what do all Muslims agree on, those would probably be the things that they would hold to. I was traveling in a Muslim country during Ramadan several years ago, and the bus would pull over every morning before sunrise, and everybody would eat more than you've ever seen someone eat in your life. 
And then we'd hit the road, and throughout the day, nobody would eat a thing. We would, because we weren't Muslims, and we were traveling in that country, and they didn't bother us for eating. But, man, as soon as it became dark, the bus would pull over at the very closest stop, and again, everyone would eat more than you've ever seen people eat. So that always struck me as a bit ironic that there was this marked difference between the spirit of the law and the law itself. And I know that that is one of the key things that we'll talk about today is just this relational aspect Mm -hmm. of faith in Christ where we have a personal desire, not just obligation, to follow God. That being said, what are some of the contrasts, other than that one, between Islam and Christianity? I'd say, keyly, it all revolves around Jesus Christ, of course. Being able to see so much of the Christian faith put through the Quran and put through there, the monotheistic idea and premise. Growing up, I believed with all my heart, even though I didn't believe in Jesus Christ, I believed with all my heart that there was only one God. There was only one creator. There was only one being. And so Christianity is the same way in that process. Those of you that know Christians, they believe that there's only one God. There's no plethora of them, even though we do believe in the Trinity. We believe that they are three in one. So that is definitely a very key understanding, especially for me coming to the faith. Because I believed in one God, I desired to believe in the one true God. And so that is a key understanding, I think, between Christianity and Islam. One thing that's very unique about Islam is they believe that they're tagged on to the Christian faith. So it would be the Jewish faith and then, of course, the Christianity faith, and then Islam was the final faith. Of course, Christianity does the same. Christianity says that Jesus was the last prophet, the greatest prophet of all times, you know, priest, all of those things that he fulfilled and and that no one would come after Jesus. And he was God and he fulfilled all of the prophecies himself and that he paid for the penalty of death on the cross. And um, but Islam doesn't believe in that part of it, but they believe that the same God that the Jews worshipped and the same God that the Christians worshipped outside of Jesus, they believe they're worshipping that same exact God. So that was very interesting for me growing up because I felt that I was just like a Christian or a Jew in that same family, in that same ties, but yet I didn't understand the concept because I wasn't a Christian. Christians didn't think that about me. So that was very awkward for me as I became a teenager and an adult to understand the difference in there. So those are a few things that just come immediately to my head. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. You can go to GodSolutionShow.com to find out more about the show. Again, that's GodSolutionShow.com. We're interviewing Josh Mensinger, and he is talking about growing up as a Muslim in the Islamic faith and his transition from that place to one of being a Christian. And we'll hear more about where he's at and where he's going in life next. But as we talk about that transition, Josh, how did you come to faith in Christ? Because obviously that's a big step. I know that I've heard statistics actually from Muslim sources that up to 16,000 Muslims a day are coming to Jesus Christ and to faith in him. So it is a misconception to believe that Muslims don't convert to Christianity. I know many are every single day. And it's exciting to hear the story of someone like you and to see your transition. So tell me a little bit more about how that happened. Yeah, absolutely. After I grew up and moved out of the house... I became very worldly. I still believed in God. I still even believed in Islam, even though I wasn't practicing. One, uh, we moved to East Texas where there are no mosques. And uh, so pretty much all of your worship to Allah is pretty much on your own. There's just, you could probably count 
10 people within probably 100 mile radius within that East Texas area to be able to put a mosque together. So it was really me just living out my own beliefs, but yet still holding to some form of Islamic view. Of course, being my father of who he was and the love that I desired for him. Many people, it's not that I had never heard of the name of Jesus Christ before. Um, of course, like I said, my mother said that she was Christian, even though she never taught us about it. And it's not that if no one never evangelized to me or even tried to share their faith with me. In fact, there was a time when I was in high school and a, a girl uh, invited me to church to go with her. And so I knew my dad slept in late. I snuck out, took the city bus, and I went to this church. And I can't remember the denomination for anything to save me, which I think is a good thing in my own conviction. I went to that church, and, and I didn't get to go to Sunday school with that girl because she was in a different, she was older than me. You know, I, I don't remember the Bible study. I don't, I don't remember anything specifically about it, but I remembered experiencing something different at that church that I had never experienced in the mosque before. And I can only describe it now being a Christian as the love of Jesus that they were pouring out on me. I sat through the sermon. I was so intentive of what the preacher was saying. I walked away, leaving that place, desiring to go back the next week. Fortunately, by the time I got home, my dad knew that I'd went to church. My dad had grabbed me by my throat, and he told me that if I'd ever went to church again, he was going to knock my teeth out and kick me out. I say that to say that I had plenty of opportunities to accept Christ if I desired to and if the knowledge that was presented before me was accurate and deep. But so many times, as a Christian would begin to share their faith with me, I would ask them, well, why do you believe that? Or what do you believe about scriptures? What do you believe about the word of God? Or how do you know that there's not errors inside of it? And how do you know that Jesus Christ died on a cross? How do you, I mean, every single question, how can you say that God is three in one? How, I mean, there's only such thing as one. How can it be three? So many Christians that would ever share their faith with me were so nominal in their foundations that they had no answer. The only answer that they could possibly say was, you just have to believe. That was a turnoff for me because in the Islamic faith, being a, a very man-made religion, it's so designed and created to be able to answer reasonable questions. And I thought that that was only Islam. It wasn't until I met a man at work. He was a coat worker. I was actually a manager at Walmart at the time, and so was he. And he began to share his faith in Jesus Christ with me. And he'd pull out his little Bible from the back, and I'd ask him these questions. And then he'd flip to a passage in Scripture and say, yeah, let me show you how Jesus was prophesied as the Messiah. And he would go back to the Old Testament. And he'd take me to the Daniel passage of the prophecy of being the Son of God. And I believe now in the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. What happened before was that no one had any power from the Word. All they had was a very blind faith. And I realized that through his teaching, through a month of discipleship, day after day after day after day, that the Christian religion actually was more reasonable and understanding than even the Muslim faith. And I began to be convicted, and I believe that it was the work of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know that at the time. Just being the word being taught to me, rather than just being only you know surface-level worldly mind games, but it was rather the word working inside of me had convicted me that I came finally to a point in my conviction that with Jesus Christ dying on the cross, and, and what was amazing was this man had the historical backgrounds from Josephus and the records from Pontius Pilate era to prove that outside of scripture that Jesus Christ did die on the cross and the charge was blasphemy. You know? And so that was very convicting for me because as a Muslim, you're taught that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. He never, ever once claimed to be God. But yet, here's the Jewish account. They have nothing to gain by saying that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and that he claimed to be the Son of God. In fact, 
they take that as a good thing to say that he claimed to be the son of God because it makes him a heretic. Um, and that's why he was crucified on the cross. And so I came under the conviction, truthfully, that Jesus Christ did die on the cross. So then, of course, I didn't know that at the time, but the lunatic liar Lord was presented to me by this man that if you believe that he was a man who said that he was God and did die on a cross, then he can only be three things. He'd have to be a liar who was trying to get his own personal gain, a lunatic, absolutely, totally mental, and didn't realize what the heck he was saying or doing, or he really was the Lord. What was amazing was because my understanding and reasoning and faith came from all of the Old Testament prophecies that this man began to show me through the Old Testament. And I think that we truly can't grasp the true understanding of Jesus Christ without understanding the prophecies from the Old Testament. I'm a type of guy that hates to see people who give out just New Testaments to people on the street. I believe you need the whole Old Testament and the New Testament to understand Jesus completely, especially for a Muslim because the Old Testament is much easier for a Muslim to believe in because they believe from the Jews, they believe that it's the Word of God. It's the New Testament that they believe that there's more errors in. At that moment, I had to reconcile, who am I going to follow? Am I going to continue to follow in this false Allah? Because with the cross, there could be no Islam, of course. And without the cross, there could be no Christianity. And so for me, I really did believe 100% in the cross. I believed in Jesus Christ dying for me and my sins. And I believe that he was the one that was prophesied from all of that time in the Old Testament. It was just mind-boggling for me to finally have belief in a faith a background, a foundation to say, look at all of these examples of the prophecies that were given about Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've ever heard the illustration before, but basically if you were to take the whole state of Texas and fill it with silver dollars two feet deep and to take one of those silver dollars and put a red X on it, shuffle them all out, distribute it all over Texas two feet deep from border to border to border and give a man a blindfold and for him to pick up that silver dollar, that is the numerical percentage rate of all of the prophecies from the Old Testament that it would happen. And so I don't believe that our faith in Christianity should be blind. I don't think that we should just say you just have to believe. God has given us his word, like in Peter says, that we have something more sure to believe in, and it's the word of God. I would encourage you to go back to godsolutionshow.com and look at some of our interviews with Dr. Gary Habermas about the evidence for the resurrection and some different things like that if you're interested more in that subject. Well, Josh, before we go any further, it's been a great interview so far, I'd like to hear about your family. So you came to this perspective of trusting Christ, which is a big deal, and I know a lot of different Muslims that maybe look at the evidence and come to the same conclusion that you do would also realize that there's more than just agreeing with this information. There's a lot at stake. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about the difficulty of that decision and the ramifications that it had within your family? I'd have to say that it starts in the pew. <laughs> uh, after about a month-long discipleship, that man invited me to come to church, and I basically at that point was frustrated. I was frustrated with myself because I was wrestling with the Spirit. and So he finally said, if you'll just come to church, I'll leave you alone if that's what you want me to do. And, and he put really all of his trust and faith in Christ to do the work. And I sat in the pew, and the, and the pastor preached on forgiveness and the cross, it was confirmation for me and showing me that everything that this man had discipled me from was truth and evident. And, and then of course, he gave the opportunity for an invitation. And I was so frightened, first thinking about the man next to me, thinking, man, what the heck is this guy going to say if I walk down there? Not knowing that he would rejoice, but just wondering, like, that would confirm to him how bad I was. So I didn't go down during the invitation and gave a second opportunity. 
And that second opportunity went from the man next to me to thinking about my father, thinking about what my dad would say if I went forward. And there was just an overwhelming response to just stand up and to go down and give my life to Christ. And I did not want to not follow the Lord. I was just totally under the power and the conviction. And so I stood up and I walked down that aisle and I gave my life to Christ. And I was baptized shortly later. And just after my baptism, uh, I had the opportunity to tell my dad that I became a Christian. And um, that was very difficult for me just looking back on it and seeing my dad's response in his face and the life, if you will, being sucked out of my father's faith. But it was very beneficial for me to be able to come forward and clean and talk to my dad and tell him because I desired my dad to be saved now. Now that I knew the truth, now that I was following the truth and I was following the Lord, I knew that I really didn't have much option with that. Of course, my dad, just like before, kind of when I went to church, his love began to fade. My my dad's relationship was so great. I loved my father. I wasn't running from my father or anything like that and going to Christianity. To this day, it's very, very strained. My dad was kind of okay with it. In fact, there was moments where my dad seen the change in my life. It wasn't just I said a prayer and I was done. My life began to change. I began to live very much to the standards that God calls us to in Scripture. And my dad noticed that. My dad noticed my household and my, my wife and my children and the way things changed in my home. And there was one time where he, I think out of the conviction of true seeing the light through me and the Holy Spirit that my dad said, you know, I don't believe anything that you believe or doing, and I wish that you wouldn't, but I do see that you're seeking after God, and I'm proud of you for doing that. I think because my dad had to reconcile that I was living in the world and in the flesh and not really even living out Islam, for him to see Christianity actually working through me was very convicting for my father. But it went from that, and I had this hopes and passion that it would begin to get better and easier for my dad, and it went from that to becoming much worse. Attacks verbally from my father, very argumentative conversations and um, a few years later I surrendered into the ministry and told my father that I was going to seminary to go to Bible school and I desired to preach the word I felt that that's what God was calling me to do and my dad felt pretty bad Um, and from that moment on uh, our relationship became very strained my dad didn't really talk to me much if the conversations we did have they were very short very one-line sentences when I finished school and I took a calling out to West Texas to be a full-time youth pastor I called my dad in Egypt because I didn't want him to find out from my sisters that I took a position, and I'll never forget. He he said, Josh, this is the worst day of my life, and uh, that was very hurtful for me. It was very sad for me, and I knew my dad wasn't going to jump up for joy and, and you know, applaud and, and rejoice with me, but to hear him say, you know, this is the worst day of my life, uh, that you're telling me that you're moving away to go be a pastor to church. Um, I took that over a year ago, and I've probably spoken to my dad once in a year. I've called him. I've left messages on his phone. He doesn't answer, and he doesn't return my calls. And I miss my dad. I really, really miss my dad. I love him so much. And it's hard. There's days that it's very hard for me that I think about him, and I just want to love him and and talk to him. And I can't. If I could trade it all over again, there's no way that I would. I'd still follow the Lord. I'd still be truthful with my dad and tell him everything that happened to me in my life and, and what happened because I do have hope in Jesus Christ that one day my dad might come to salvation. And uh, that's the only hope that I have. I can still love my dad, uh, even though I don't receive that love back. I can still treat him the way that God would want me to treat him and love him and try and reach out to him. And I think that that's what separates us between our faiths, too, is is the love of Christ in comparison to the non-loving Islam. And so that's kind of the relationship right now with me and my dad, unfortunately. Any last words as we close out the show? I'd encourage any of you out there that if you're seeking after some form of truth and understanding of 
what God's purpose is for your life and, and who God specifically is, that you're really only going to find it through the Word of God. Don't let anything, including a parent, including a sibling, including a spouse, stop you from worshiping the one true God, because worshiping Him is, is undescribable. The peace and the faith that only Jesus Christ can give. When I prayed the Islamic prayers, there was never anything back. There was never anything given to me by Allah. But now in faith in Jesus Christ, when I pray to the Lord, when I seek him for wisdom in his word, I always get a response. It's undescribable. It really is. And I can only say that if you want to follow the one true God and if you'll give your life to him, then absolutely that you'll be able to not describe the same way that I can't describe it. And so that's my prayer for you and my final words that I have for you guys here. Well, I hope you got a lot out of the show this week and really enjoyed Josh's testimony. Again, many Muslims are coming to Christ every single day. My encouragement to you would be to pray that this would continue to happen and that it would accelerate and that God would send workers into the harvest in that area of the world. I have numerous friends in that area of the world that I love dearly who are there sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those people. Well, before we close out the show, I'd like to ask you to go to GodSolutionShow.com and check out a list of local churches that you could visit. Contact us there through the contact form. Look at resources and even partner with us to expand this ministry. If you've never made a decision to trust Christ, do that today. Put your faith in him. Verbalize that through prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to come into my life, be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for raising from the dead to give me new life. If you truly put your faith in him today, you can look forward to an eternity with him in heaven and a life of meaning and purpose here on this planet. Well, again, like I say every week, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving this week. Oh,